Welcome to The Important Part, Investing with Liz Young. I'm Liz Young, Head of Investment Strategy at SoFi, here to help cut through the large amount of information out there about investing and get to the important part. With the help of my guests, you'll gain valuable insights, new perspectives, and the knowledge to confidently make your investment decisions. Hello, everybody, and welcome to The Important Part. This is a bonus episode where I'm taking your questions that you submitted on Twitter. And again, I was overwhelmed with such wonderful questions. I'm really, really happy with how much engagement I'm getting on Twitter. And you guys asked such good questions. Um, Again, there were a few themes that kept popping up, so I'm going to answer those as best I can as a group. And try to get through as much of this as I can as well. And then shortly after this episode comes out, I will have a mid-year outlook piece that comes out and we'll talk about the second half in there, dig into it in a little more detail uh, with the written word and all kinds of charts and graphs and data uh, that you know and love from me. (laughs) So, um, All right, so let's get started on some of these questions. I'm going to start with the big one, the elephant in the room, which relates mostly to whether or not I see a recession coming. Now, I want to give a little bit of a disclaimer here that you'll hear many people give, and that is, I can't be sure, of course, either way. And I don't have a crystal ball that tells me exactly what's going to happen in the economy, but what I can do is give you a little bit of my thoughts, a little bit of my feedback on how I'm feeling right now. We're hearing a ton of commentary from all kinds of business leaders, CEOs, economists, strategists, journalists, anybody on whether or not they think there's going to be a recession. There's even people, politicians, saying that they think that we're in a recession right now. And I can imagine that as an everyday investor, that can be quite disconcerting and uh, can instill not so much confidence in, in what's going on in the actual economy. So here's here's how one of the questions was phrased, and that's how I'm going to answer this one. The Atlanta Fed lowered its Q2 GDP forecast from 2.5% to 1.3%. This person thinks that we may have another negative print, therefore. Does that meet the necessary definition of recession? Are we headed for one? So Uh, You are correct that if we have two consecutive quarters of a GDP contraction, that would meet the definition of a recession, the technical definition of a recession. They have to be consecutive quarters. You have to string them together, and both of the prints have to be negative. Now, we did have a negative 1.5% GDP print in Q1. So technically, we're 50% of the way to what would be the definition of a recession. That negative 1.5% print in the first quarter was due mostly to some foreign currency headwinds that affected trade. So when we export goods and services as an economy, that is a positive for us. When we import goods and services as an economy, that is a negative for us. So in the first quarter, we imported a lot more than we exported, and it ended up being a pretty big drag on GDP and resulted in a negative 1.5% print. One important detail that I want to mention here, because this is, it can get kind of confusing. When we talk about GDP numbers, we are typically talking about real GDP, okay? So that is inflation adjusted. We're not talking about nominal GDP. We're talking about real GDP. So that's what that negative 1.5% number is. 
And we also talk about GDP in a quarter-over-quarter basis, not a year-over-year basis. So that Q1 print was negative 1.5% versus the fourth quarter of 2021, okay? So in Q2, we will get a GDP print. We're going to get it in July. And right now, the estimate, the consensus estimate for the second quarter of 2022 is about 3% growth, positive growth, okay? So the consensus estimate is not to have a negative GDP print in the second quarter. That consensus is made up of 57 respondents on Bloomberg. Uh, These are all big banks, uh, a lot of strategy banks, a lot of different analysts submitting these respondents, uh, excuse me, a lot of analysts submitting these responses. None of the responses, I scrolled through them last night, none of the responses are negative at this point. There are some that are very small, so maybe less than 1% growth, but none of them are negative at this point. Now, that doesn't mean that it can't be possible that we have a negative GDP print, but the good news is that consensus does not believe that that's going to happen, and there also isn't any of the respondents who has said that they think that we're going to have a negative GDP print. So that's a positive for now that I think we should really pay attention to. The other positive is that it would be highly unusual And when I say highly unusual, I mean this has never happened before, to go into a recession right now with a labor market in the condition that it's in today, with a labor market that is so tight, where we have so many job openings, so many companies that are still trying to hire. Now, some of that is slowing down, and we're starting to hear news about companies that are freezing hiring or stopping hiring or pausing hiring for a while. So I do expect that the labor market becomes a little bit looser than it is today. However, it would be highly unusual to go into a recession with a jobs market as strong as this. So, and again, I'm not saying it's impossible, but it's not probable. And I think that some of these calls for a recession right now are a bit premature. So some of the things that we would need to hear about that we would need to see before I would say, okay, now we're getting to the point where maybe it's more realistic We would need to hear about layoffs. We'd need to see the jobs numbers loosen, like I just mentioned, meaning fewer jobs added. We would need to see initial jobless claims rise. And we'd need to see consumer spending come in uh, quite a bit weaker than how it's coming in right now. Now, a lot of that stuff can change quickly. It can change on a dime. So it's important to point that out. This isn't necessarily something that's going to be a slow burn. However, a lot of the indicators right now that are are preventing us from being in a recession are still pretty strong. So keep your eyes on those. And again, I think that some of the calls for a recession right now are premature. Um, Also, I think, you know, earnings estimates still need to come down for the second half of the year. And we are definitely keeping our eye on that. But also keep in mind that earnings revisions downward do not mean contraction necessarily. So it is possible that we revise earnings downward and do not go into a recession. So uh, I think we're still wait and see on this indicator, but I am not as pessimistic as some have, as some others are. Okay, back, back with question number two. <laughs> Again, uh, I spent a long time on the first question, but that was a big one. I wanted to get that recession one out of the way. I will try to get through the rest of these a little bit more quickly. Question number two is on the housing market. And I thought that this was a really good question that will apply to a lot of people out there. 
Homes are so expensive, especially for a first-time home buyer. What market indicators can I be looking at to better understand the housing market? What is the best way to see a housing slowdown through market data? Okay, a, a bunch of different things here. The first one that I will mention that actually has already happened in the market is if you look at home builder stocks, those have corrected quite a bit this year, much more than the broad index. And as we know, the index is, uh, the stock market is usually a leading indicator for some of the economic data that will come in later. Now, what are some other market indicators that we can look at? The 10-year treasury yield is very strongly correlated to mortgage rates. And yes, mortgage rates are also affected by Fed rate hikes and by the prime rate, but the 10-year treasury yield is highly correlated to them as well. So the 10-year treasury yield has risen quite a bit in anticipation of a tightening monetary policy cycle. As such, mortgage rates have also risen. So as mortgage rates rise, housing affordability falls. And that's something that you would expect then to bake into the economic data which it has. So what's another indicator that we can watch that's an economic indicator? You can look at mortgage applications. Those are down meaningfully since the beginning of the year, more than 40% since the beginning of the year. Now, that should be no surprise, right? Rates rose, home prices are quite high, and housing affordability has fallen. Also, there wasn't enough inventory of houses on the market for everybody that wanted to buy them. So naturally, mortgage applications are going to fall. Other indicators that you can look at, and these are things that you're going to hear about in the media quite a bit, things like housing starts, building permits, completions. You can look at new home sales, existing home sales. Those are some of the big indicators that give you a gauge of how the housing market is doing. Now, new home sales and existing home sales have fallen quite a bit over the last couple months. These indicators, though, are pretty lagged. So that's also something that I want everybody to keep in mind. When you're thinking about what's happening and, and just the sentiment that you're getting from your circle of investors or your circle of home buyers or anybody that you're talking to, you're getting that sentiment live in real time today. So I'm recording this on June 7th. If you're talking to somebody on June 7th about the housing market, they're telling you how they feel about it today, right? The last data that we have for new home sales and existing home sales was for the end of April. So there is a lag in that data. And some of the stuff that you're going to hear may still sound stronger than what you're hearing come out of people's mouths when you talk to them in your everyday life. That's because there's a, a pretty big time gap between what's happening today and, and what this data is telling us. But these indicators, especially for the housing market, have started to soften. That can sound scary. That can sound uh, like a warning signal. But I will say the housing market has been one of uh, the biggest stretches, I suppose we could call that, in the economy. And it's something that if we're hoping for inflation to have peaked and come back down the other side, the housing market needed to roll over in order for me to feel a little bit more confident that that could actually happen. So I am not upset that the housing market has softened a bit. The last thing that we can watch, and this indicator has not shown signs of cracking quite yet, at least not in the data that we're seeing. Again, pretty big lag here. Home prices. So obviously home prices mainly a function of demand and the inventory that's available. Home prices have been rising about 15 to 20% year over year. So these are monthly readings. So it would be this March compared to last March. 
They've been rising at a rate of 15 to 20 percent year over year since last April. And they haven't let up yet. The last reading was still about 20 percent rise. That is a enormous rise in prices. But this data is even more lagged than the last data I just mentioned. The last that we have for home prices is as of March 31st. Okay, so I think we will see a softening in home prices as we get through the rest of the year. It's just that we're a couple of months behind on those readings. And again, I am not upset to see a rollover in the housing market. Yes, it's a cyclical indicator, and that's what I think makes people a little bit nervous about it. However, we needed to see a rollover. We needed to see a relaxation in order to feel more confident that inflation could actually come back down off of its highs. Okay, question number three. I like this one. Because uh, this is something that I've been talking about a lot. Do you think retail, and then specifically staples and discretionary both, was too hard hit in earnings season and might be good value? Or do you think there's more downside ahead? Now, the reason I love this question is because it is about the consumer. And as we know, the consumer reigns supreme in the U.S. economy. Short answer. No, I don't <laughs> I don't think it was too hard hit. And in fact, I think that especially in the discretionary space, earnings revisions are going to come in downward uh, as we get through the summer. And we've already heard about that today. I happen to be recording this on a day that Target announced uh, another revision downward. So uh, they have not been the first company. They won't be the last. And I do think that consumer discretionary as a sector probably sees more pain. Uh, before it can recover, before that can level off. Some of the reason for that is that, number one, there is a rotation underway from goods spending to services spending. So just for some context, inflation-adjusted consumer spending on goods is about $391 billion above trend right now, and services is about $261 billion below trend. Now, some of that is for obvious reasons. We couldn't engage in services spending quite as much as, as we used to. Um, people bought a lot more stuff than they did experiences for a while. So we're finally now in this space where we're seeing a rotation from goods back into services. That probably continues to normalize. So we should see a pullback in goods and an increase in services spending. But then this little caveat of the fact that we have some slowing growth uh, also is not helping. Now, the reason why I think that consumer discretionary sees more downward revisions, this is a point that I've, I've been making quite a bit, is that the consumer can change their mind on a dime, right? I can make a decision today that I'm not going to spend the same amount of money tomorrow and that I'm not going to buy the thing that I was planning on buying next week. I'm going to wait because I don't like the price of it or because I started to feel a little bit nervous about the economy. I can make that decision in a heartbeat, right? Companies cannot change as quickly as consumers can change. So when you think about big companies like Target, Walmart, anybody that's got inventory and warehouses of inventory, they had to forecast out quarters in advance how much they thought consumers would purchase of those items. If consumers change their mind at some point in that period, they're stuck with all this inventory. And that is a lot of what's happening. So not only are we seeing a rotation from goods spending into services spending, but we're seeing a shift in consumer behavior. And that can be due to a few different things. I do think that inflation is affecting the consumer and maybe they've shifted away from buying some of those bigger ticket items. We call those durable goods. 
bigger ticket items into smaller ticket items for the time being, and that's going to affect inventory levels. It's also going to affect revenue streams of the companies that are selling those big ticket items. So I do think we're going to see a shift in that for the second half of the year. And I think that earnings expectations for consumer discretionary in particular are probably still a little bit too high for the growth slowdown that we're expecting to ensue for the second, third, and fourth quarters. Okay. Moving right along. Question number four. I've only got one more question after this. So those of you who are worried that this is going to last an hour and a half, (laughs) fear not. (laughs) I am trying to get through it. So question number four, where to put money to work in the second half? I got a lot of questions on this, um, which is great. And and I I love that people are asking this question. And I'm going to try to sort through as many of them as I can and and answer them uh, in one kind of fell swoop here. So some of the questions were about bonds. Are bonds a good place to put money to work? If you have money sitting in cash, maybe, is it is it time to buy bonds again? Uh, which sectors to look at and which to avoid? And then I had some questions about large cap versus small cap. And then um, even a couple of questions about international versus domestic. So let's start with the bonds question. I say yes to bonds right now. I think that 60-40 was dead for a while. It was certainly dead in the first quarter when we saw a drawdown in both equities and bonds. That did not occur as a 60-40 portfolio would have suggested that it should. But there was such a sharp correction in bonds in the first quarter. And when I'm when I say bonds, I mean high-quality bonds. I'm talking about treasuries. I'm talking about high-quality corporates. I'm not talking about junk bonds. I'm not talking about risky corporate bonds. So I do not think 60-40 is dead anymore. And I do think that bonds are worth an allocation again. Now, I don't think they should be the only diversifier in your portfolio because they still just went through a 40-year bull market and you know they're volatile and obviously in a rising rate environment, uh, they're going to continue to be volatile. However, the valuations are now such that they're worth a look. And I do think that it's okay to take some of that cash if you've got cash sitting around and you want to diversify the equity exposure. And even just think about the possibility of if we had, you know, that possibility of a recession or if we had something that came in and was a big negative shock to the equity market, bonds are in a place that they have room to rally in in the face of that. So I do think bonds... Uh, are worth an allocation. Now, on to the sectors question. Which sectors to look at, which to avoid? You've probably heard me say this over and over again. I do like healthcare. I like healthcare for the long term. I think that there are parts of healthcare that are trading at really attractive valuations, biotech, pharma, that for the long-term investor are just good places to be. I mean, this crisis changed healthcare forever for us, and it sped up the marriage between healthcare and technology. And I just think healthcare is a great opportunity for investors, especially at these levels. It's also a sector that's a little bit more insulated from the direct threat of rising rates and and those macro headlines. So I think healthcare is a great place to be. Financials for the second half, I know that I continue to sound a little wacky about that, but Here's the thing. If we have a a cyclical bounce in the second half, or if we find out that inflation did in fact roll over and it's starting to come down the other side and some of the monetary tightening is working from the Fed, we might see them come off that tightening gas pedal a little bit. And that would drive a cyclical rally in the market. Financials, I think, got 
uh, beat up quite a bit earlier in the year and are trading at, again, attractive valuations. So that's a space that could see a bounce in the second half. I do think it's okay to be dipping your toe into high quality tech. I think we're going to look at a lot of these tech companies, the high quality tech companies. We're going to look at them in two to five years and think, wow, they were really great bargains at that point in time. And again, if you believe in a cyclical bounce, industrials are actually starting to show some signs of life. And that would be another place that you could start to average back into. But I would be more careful there than in some of the other sectors I mentioned, um, partially because I still think that some of the industrials earnings expectations need to come down in the second half of the year as well. Okay, so then sectors to avoid. Uh, I just went through a question on retail and consumer spending. And I said that I think consumer discretionary still is going to see downward revisions. So for now, I would still avoid consumer discretionary. I think that there's probably a little bit more damage to be done there. Um, And at least just to wait out the volatility. But if we get through some more of these earnings revisions, we start the second quarter earnings season and and things are looking pretty dour. um, That's when you start to buy the beaten up consumer discretionary names. But I would wait that out for a little bit longer as these revisions roll in. I would also avoid housing related names. I do think that we're going to see a slowdown there, as I also mentioned in a previous answer. And then the big one here is energy. And this is kind of a non-consensus statement. I know everybody loves energy and wants to stay in it forever and ever and amen. And I think that it's okay to start taking some profits there. Uh, You know, I I don't know that we're going to see another huge spike in oil prices. I do think that oil prices are going to stay elevated because there's a decent amount of demand and China's coming back online. So that's going to keep prices elevated. But people have made a lot of money in the energy sector. And what I don't want to happen is for everybody to have ridden it all the way up and then to ride it back down if and when inflation rolls over. So I think you can start taking some careful profits in energy. Okay, Uh, next question here is large cap versus small cap. Look, large cap always deserves an allocation in the portfolio. Large cap U.S. stocks always deserve an allocation. But small cap may have seen the worst by now. And Again, if there's a cyclical bounce in the second half, small cap value is where you want to be for that. Small cap is also insulated from some of the currency headwinds that we're hearing from more multinational companies. So Microsoft is a good example. Small cap is insulated from those because they don't get a ton of their revenue from abroad. In fact, about 80% of the revenue in Russell 2000 companies comes from the U.S. So A strong dollar is not as much of a headwind to small cap companies. And that's something that I think people should keep in mind. And then lastly, international versus domestic. So this is is a, a tricky one to work through because it's not so black and white where we can say, okay, you either buy foreign stocks or you don't buy foreign stocks. We have to split it up into smaller groups. So we're starting to hear rumblings that the worst of the China slowdown is behind us and their manufacturing data has has rolled over or hit maybe hit bottom and is going to bounce here. That is definitely possible. I would still say that that's a gutsy call. It's a gutsy call to say, go buy China right now. But there are a couple things working in its favor. It, reopening helps uh, if if we're past that closure. But you know what? We thought we were past the closure already a few times. So nobody's saying that China can't go back into lockdown if there's another variant that hits. The Chinese central bank is in more of a stimulative mode. 
So that's usually more bullish for equities. That's something that's in the positive camp. So, you know, it's it's something that I think you could start looking at as an investor, but it does require uh, a very healthy risk appetite. As for places like Europe, I would still wait on Europe for a while. And yes, one of my calls early in the year as we came into 2022 was that I thought Europe would do well this year. That was pre-Russia-Ukraine war. So I want to see a de-escalation in the Russia-Ukraine war uh, before I'm comfortable with re-entering Europe. I also think Europe uh, either is in or is approaching recession. Uh, So I think Europe just deserves a little bit more time here. Okay, and last but certainly not least, a question about the Fed, of course. What do I see the Fed doing the rest of the year? Now, I wish I had Jerome Paul on speed dial. I will say, number one, I do not envy him whatsoever. Uh, Number two, of course, all of this could change. And I'm recording this podcast only about a week before their next meeting. So the next announcement will be June 15th. who knows what what happens then, but I I think consensus estimate is that they're going to do a 50 basis point hike June 15th and then another 50 basis point hike at the end of July. I believe that announcement will come on July 27th. And then there is no scheduled meeting in August. So we get an imposed break in August, and then we have another meeting in September, an imposed break in October, meetings in November and December. So here's what I think is important to think about. I'm going to I'm going to reframe the question of what do I see the Fed doing the rest of the year into what is the Fed watching and when would they reevaluate their stance. Now, we talk about indicators all the time that are in the headlines, right? We talk about CPI, we're actually we're going to get a CPI number later this week, which probably still comes in pretty high. But we talk about CPI all the time a lot of those numbers are quoted year over year. Now, this goes back to the same thing I mentioned about GDP. It sounds like a small detail, but it really does matter. So if we compare year over year numbers, that's obviously compared to even a different environment than we're in now. What the Fed is watching is month over month inflation readings, because that tells them more about the trajectory and the direction of where this is headed. So even if the year-over-year numbers have peaked and have started coming down, the month-over-month is where we want to see relaxation, and that has not happened yet. So their preferred reading is core PCE, not CPI. PCE stands for personal consumption expenditures. CPI stands for the consumer price index. The basket of goods is a little bit different, but either way, they want the month-over-month readings to slow. So when you hear these data points come out, listen for the month over month reading more than the year over year. That is what Jerome Powell and the rest of the FOMC is looking at. Powell also said recently that he needs clear and convincing evidence that those numbers are slowing. He's talking about the month over month numbers. Okay. Secondly, drawdowns in the stock market obviously will not stop them. I think that has been proven case in point this year already, but they do care about the yield curve. They do care about the bond market because it sends signals. Now, we talk about inversion in the curve most commonly as inversion between the two-year and the 10-year, meaning if the 10-year yield is below the two-year yield, that is an inverted yield curve. That is the most common reference of an inverted curve. The Fed, however, prefers to watch what's called the near-term forward spread. And that is, now hang on, follow me on this, That is the current three-month 
yield and the three-month yield 18 months from now, okay? So there's a forward rate, which is a three-month yield 18 months from now. So if you take that three-month yield 18 months from now minus today's three-month yield, that's the spread they watch. And that's the curve that they don't want to invert. If that inverts, basically the signal it's sending is that people think the Fed is going to have to cut rates in the next 18 months. And why would they cut rates? They would cut rates because a recession is coming. That spread right now is sitting at about 200 basis points, okay? That's a pretty good spread. Now, it's come in about 60 basis points this year, but it's still about 200 basis points. So we're not near inversion on that curve. That is what the Fed watches as their recession indicator. So if that started to narrow, and if that was sending a signal that we were headed for more troubling economic times, I think you would see the Fed start to change its stance a little bit. The last thing I'll say is, where do they want inflation to be? I think ultimately they'd be comfortable, and this is my opinion. This is, I again, I do not have Jerome Paul on speed dial. He has not told me any of this. This is my opinion. So take it for what it's worth. Ultimately, I think they would be happy with inflation around 3%. We are nowhere near that. We're still in the eights. So also I, I want people to keep in mind, we've only had a couple hikes. We have probably two more 50 basis point hikes coming. We want to see that work. So there's going to be some time here where we need to wait and see if those hikes are going to work, if some of the quantitative tightening that they've started is going to work, and then see inflation relax. I don't think they need inflation to be at 3% by the end of this year. I think that they would like to see it at 3% in 2023, but we do need to see meaningful movement the rest of this year. Okay, that is a wrap. That was five questions. I thought it would only take me 15 minutes. I think it was slightly longer than that. So apologize for stealing more minutes out of your day. But soon to come again is a second half outlook piece from me. And then I will do all kinds of talking about it on all the places. <laughs> but uh, I thank you again for all of your wonderful questions. And thank you for your engagement on Twitter. Please keep that up. I love it. I love hearing from you all. And I love hearing what's on your mind. So that's it for this episode. For more from me, check out my weekly column on the markets every Thursday morning on the SoFi blog at SoFi.com slash blog and follow me on Twitter for daily takes on the market at Liz Young Strat. Thank you for listening and I look forward to bringing you next month's episode of The Important Part. The Important Part is produced by SoFi in partnership with Pod People. Special thanks to our production team, Sarah Lee Kane, our producer, Brian Rivers, our production manager, and Carter Wogan, our editor and sound engineer. SoFi can't guarantee future financial performance and past performance is no guarantee. This podcast should be used for informational purposes only and not deemed as a recommendation. Our automated investing is via SoFi Wealth, LLC, and is a registered investment advisor. Our active investing is via SoFi Securities, LLC, member FINRA SIPC. For additional disclosures related to the SoFi Invest platforms, please visit sofi.com slash legal.